Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of A Good Drop. Today, we are talking about how the pros do it. Yeah, yeah. We uh, participated in a brew day and uh, we'll talk you through all they do to make the brew. Yeah. Well, we went to a craft brewery's brew day, so let's hear all about it. I'm Stu. I'm Michael. Cheers. Cheers. fascinating because we, we know the theory behind how to make a beer but well and the theory behind how to make a beer in bulk but we've never i guess done it in person yeah and certainly uh, the way that craft breweries do it which is producing more than a home brewer but less than the big boys mm. and uh S- still small batch even though these small batches are like 1400 liters yeah so still still small batch kind of and for these guys we went to they don't even tend to make the same stuff over again they Mm. make brand new unique things every time and we participated in uh making a stout a uh, blueberry stout Mm. and it yeah it was really interesting like being there and uh, seeing the whole process in person and being able to ask questions from these master brewers. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the beginnings were, I suppose, what you'd expect. They, you know, heat water. Yeah, they got to... Not, not to boiling, even. They got to heat it to about 66 degrees. Yeah. And uh, interestingly, because they don't heat it in their mash pot, they have to take into account for the temperature loss between where it's heated and where it enters the mash pot. Like, th- this is, like, chemistry. Like, like you got to take all these things into account. Like, you measure it from here, and then you have an expected loss of, of heat energy between point A and point B. So yeah. you take those into account. Plus, you got the loss of heat from the, the, the mash pot itself. Mm, so, I mean, obviously, that's just, your know, basic thermodynamics. Oh, that yeah. Is gonna, <laughs> <laughs> that's going to... Easy stuff. That, High school level. Lose that temperature. <laughs> and uh yeah so they they adjust so that they heat it in the 70 range and it drops to 66 mm. by the time it's moved through the pipe and into the mash tun and um obviously they add their various different kinds of grain to the mash tun and they used several different kinds yeah, to, several, to make the several stout. different kinds of malt mm. so they in this particular brew there is uh gladfield's base malt which I think they used about 160 kilos. Was it 300 kilos? Oh, no, it was 200 kilos total of malt, but 160 of the, the Gladfield base malt. And then they had a, a quite a small portion of the medium crystal malt, which... So, the the Gladfield the base malt was just, you know, tasted kind of like porridge or oats. Yeah, yeah. When we, we tried the, the malts dry mm. and... Um, yeah, they they were very much like you could eat them for breakfast. Yeah, but the the medium crystal malt that really caught me off guard because it's really sweet, mm, which explains why they wouldn't put too much in. Yeah, 
it's because it's so sugar, almost sugary for how sweet it is. Then there is uh, golden naked oats, uh, light chocolate, eclipse wheat, and chocolate rye. So the last three are roasted. Well, and yeah, dark malt. Dark roasted, yeah. Yeah, and uh, there were... So because it was a participatory brew day thing and everybody who was there took turns pouring some uh, malts from a bag into the mash tun, they had split it into bags. So everyone gets a bag. (laughs) So everybody gets a bag. And I I believe that there were only actually three or four bags of dark malts. Mm. There there wasn't a a large amount. No, because most of it was the the base malt. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, the base malt and the crystal malt and obviously the other... Other malts. The other malt. The ro- dark roasted yeah. stuff. So once we'd all thrown that in there, we basically mixed it around, waited for it to finish filling, and then what else did we put in? Well, they... Um, I that, they oh, so they, they it was mixed for, for quite some time, and mm. um, not just mixed by an internal mixer in the mash tun, but also... Literally mashed down with a large prodding implement. Yeah, a poker. Yeah, a, a poker we could call it. And uh, once it was sufficiently poked, they did add <laughs> blueberries. Yeah, and let that cook off for a while. But specifically, frozen blueberries were added during that step. Yeah, they had a specific reason for using uh, frozen versus fresh. Mm, mostly because they, uh, I believe, wanted to get the colour from the frozen... And then they would add fresh berries later in the fermenter for the flavor. Yes, yeah. I believe that's what they said. Hmm. So they was in there for a while. So we chatted with the owners and the rest of the guys that were there. And yes, it was all guys. I was half expecting to see a couple of ladies rocking up, but craft beer seems to be a pretty male-dominated area at the moment. Yeah, yeah, much much like a barbecue, just sausage everywhere. So where where are you at, Lady Brewers? Yes, are, are you out there? Let us know if there are women out there who also enjoy craft beer. I mean, we know there are, because after the brew day was over, we saw them coming into the brewery. Yeah, but we're looking specifically for Lady Brewers, not uh, craft beer enthusiasts, because well, everybody seems to love craft beer. Well, that's, that's true, that's true, but... Surely Brewer is just the next level of enthusiast. You've got me there. I can't argue with that. Yeah, so um, I suppose we, we digressed slightly. So let's, let's return to... Well, it's uh, still relevant. Yeah, oh no, absolutely. So <laughs> let, let's return to the process, though, because mm. being a small brewery and uh, quite a new one as well, it was for their first birthday. Yeah. So quite fresh. All their tanks are quite small. And um, so normally they would do the sparging process in the same tank well we need to talk about what a sparge is right well fire away (laughs) because to to sparge a beer or to sparge the the wort or wort they called it spelled w-o-r-t go figure um they the process is basically to make a concentrate of the malt and then pass that through and then they add another Basically, they they boil off the malt a second time and get a slightly weaker mix, and then they put and then they mix those together, and that's called and that second portion is called sparging. Yeah. Now, usually, all of that happens in the same container. They 
boil it off and then they add extra hot water and they boil it hotter again but yeah. uh well there's there's three ways to do it like you said like that that way like you said there's what they did and there's to do it all in one go where they just make up add a huge amount of liquid and pass it all through whereas what uh, semi pro did is they make a small amount of liquid pass it through and then as they they're filtering it and putting it into the kettle, they add another lot of water at the same time as they're as it's getting filtered and uh, mi- and mixed. Yeah. So while the first strong lot is being passed through to the boiler, then they put in eighty degree water hmm. on top of all the grain that's left sitting in there to draw the extra flavour. So once that's done, they basically boil it for a, a smidge. Yeah, mix them both together into the boiler, run it at 101.5 degrees Celsius. Mm. Very important that we point out Celsius for those of you who are listening in countries that don't <laughs> do Celsius. Or 208 degrees Fahrenheit, just just above boiling temperature at sea level. Yeah. But because it's in a, a pressurized kettle, they can get that temperature up without too much trouble. Mm, absolutely. And... Uh, once they have all boiled together for a sufficient length of time, they then move that mixture through a heat exchanger into the fermenter. Mm. And that is a really interesting process. Yeah. Because as it passes through the heat exchanger, the heat exchanger extracts off, like hot water is funneled off because it it basically passes it through like a, a giant radiator or water cooling system. Mm. But they use the heated water to clean the the, the mash pot. Yeah. And so it ends up going into the fermenter at around 12 degrees Celsius while hot water is funneled off back to... Yeah, back into the fermenter. Back into the fermenter. Oh, to sorry, be not able the fermenter, to, into the... Uh, back into the mash tun to be able to clean it, yeah. Yeah, like that's an awesome way of conserving energy. Yeah, absolutely, because you're heating the water anyway as mm. you remove the heat from the liquid that you're passing through to the fermenter. Because obviously, if it's too hot when it hits the fermenter, it's just going to kill off the yeast. Yeah. And the amount of yeast that they used was diminutive. But they're only getting... They're looking for like a 6 or a 7% beer. Yeah. Um, one one thing that that we should mention is that they were measuring the specific gravity or density of the water or sorry not water of the the liquid because that's that's important getting the difference between what's going into the fermenter and what it is when it's ready to drink because that measurement can tell you or can help you work out how much like how alcoholic a beer is if it's uh because the way the way you can tell is because alcohol has a different weight than water. I believe it's about 80% weight per volume to water. Yeah. Around about. That sounds about right. I mean, it, it the, it's not that specific number, but it's around about that. So you can have, if you have a alcoholic beverage that's like uh, 90, that, that's about 90 grams per 100 mils, then that's going to be a really potent drink. It's going to be like 50%. Yeah, which is not what they want, even from a stout. Like, you yeah. don't want it to be that strong. Well, no, that's an extreme example. Yeah. But, so they're, they're looking at maybe a hundred and... Just over one. 
so 1.06 grams per 100 mils because they've got a lot of flavors and congeners. Mm. You got all of those mixed in with the, the water. So, of course, it's going to be heavier. It's like a, 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 a beer cordial. Yeah. Yes, that's that's a fitting description. There's a bottle of cordial sitting on my table. It's the first thing that came to mind. So, obviously, if you add concentrates and extras to water, it's going to be denser because of the the particles in suspension. Yeah, once it's been sufficiently mixed and it has all become a single liquid instead of being separate, then... Hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like salt water is considered heavier than fresh water because of all the salt that's mixed in. That would that's probably a better example, salt water versus fresh water and the difference being salt. Yeah. Like you can't see it, but it's there. It adds weight. Yeah, and certainly you can filter it out. Mm. And I suppose with beer, if you were to try, you could probably filter it out too, possibly even using a similar method to what you'd use with salt water. Yeah, well if you if you remember back to our craft beer episode I think it was our craft beer episode where we talked about the tactical nuclear penguin beer Mm. that was ice filtered and ended up being like 30 something percent. Yeah, because you can filter down the alcohol with ice. Filter out the water because the alcohol has a lower freezing temperature. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, because the alcohol, of course, still has the flavor. Yeah. It has all the flavors in it, but the water's frozen. Mm. But we've gone off on another tangent. We have... It's a tangent episode, folks. Yes. So too much brouhaha about the brewing. Let's <laughs> yeah. Get back so to it. as exciting as we're making this whole process sound, it's really quite slow. Yeah, about uh, five hours in all, mm. and oh, uh, longer, longer. Mm, uh, just for the initial process, the mm. initial process before then waiting for it to brew, mm. like well, waiting for it to ferment because this is just just the process of getting it ready. To go to the fermenter is around the five-hour mark. Yeah. And then it has to sit and ferment. For about two weeks. Yeah. I think he said. Um, but obviously, that can change based on the craft brewer's preference. It can be shorter. It can be longer. Um, I read some home brewers like to leave their beer to ferment for up to six weeks. Like, that that's an incredibly long time. Yeah, and of course, it, it will have an effect on the flavor and the alcohol content. Mm. But this this is all uh, specific to the kind of beer that these craft brewers want to brew. The, the, the guys at Semi Pro have a particular style of flavor. They have a particular style of beer that they make, which is what we noticed. We, ha- we tried quite a few of those of their beers in that morning and we noticed that all of them seem to have a lot of uh back back of the palate and mid palate flavors yeah and uh, even aftertastes that floated around the back Mm. and mid palate and they told us that that is by design yeah that's their style yeah that's that's what they want their beers to have yeah yeah we were talking to them and they were like yeah that's that's we we brew the kind of beers that we like to drink and obviously that's going to create their own style. This is compared to, say, other craft breweries that we won't mention today, where the the beers tend to be... This particular one, the beers are more uh, front palate or uh, nose-based. Mm. 
based. Yeah, they've got very strong aromas, very strong notes, mm. and yeah, strong flavors towards the front of the palate, and then a little towards the middle and the back, but but less so. But mm. that's that is their style. Yeah, that's their style. You, and obviously, the the caveat here is that Mikkel and I are ex- very experienced drinkers. We can pick these different notes as we're drinking them, but for uh, for the inexperienced drinker, I guess you could separate the I guess you could separate craft beer flavors into three portions. You got like like music, you got treble, mid, and bass, like an like a equalizer on your phone. <laughs> treble, mid, mm. and bass. Treble being like the floral, the the notes, the sweets. Sweet notes, uh, soft flavors like, say, blueberries, like uh, lavender, uh, mid notes. Your more neutral sort of flavors, like uh, hops, tends to sit. Sit on the middle. On the middle. Uh, And, say, stronger fruit flavors like orange and licorice. Mm. That sits on the mid palate. Whereas your more bitter flavors sit towards the back. Yeah, like your... uh, your caramel, your uh, chocolate, or um, toast. Yeah. Hmm. And all of the all of these particular flavors make up the profile of a beer. And the the beer we were creating, bringing it back to what we're actually talking about, where the the beer we were helping brew was going to be middle and back palates or middle and base notes. Yes, with some towards the front. I mean, obviously, mm. the blueberries, we're going to add a sweetness to it. Yeah, and potentially part of the smell. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like the whole thing is we were excited to to go to this brew day just to see how the whole process was going to come together. Because we, as we said in the earlier in the episode, where we know how beer is made, but seeing it made on a commercial scale is something else. Yes, we, we knew the theory but to see the commercial-based theory in practice mm. was very interesting. It was was good. And, of course, we learned a lot more about beer flavor profiles and, I guess, the difference in, um, in craft beer versus regular beers, where regular beers are mass-produced and tend to directly hit either the front or the middle or the back. Mm. But don't tend to have very complex flavors to them. Yeah, they don't. They don't hit the mix. Mm. Where, like, like good, the difference between good wine and cheap wine, you good, you good wines have flavors that stretch over all three, uh, three palate sections. You treble, you mid, you base, yeah, or you back, middle, forward. And when you're focusing more on producing a small amount that's amazing mm. than on producing a large amount that's highly palatable hmm. you come up with with these guys with the, well yeah with these guys <laughs> with just more interesting flavors mm. it's not saying that the other flavors aren't nice just that they're not we're not even talking about nice in this particular podcast we're talking about complexity yeah exactly because some cheap beers can be really nice like pure blonde i actually like those because i like those flavors but they're a fairly cheap beer mm. What's your favorite, most favorite cheap beer? Oh, gosh. Favorite <laughs> cheap beer. The um, cheapest, f- most favorite beer you can think of. Sol, maybe? Sol? 
That's fairly cheap. I yeah, think. Although um, Hollandia is. Oh, that yeah is yeah. cheap, but not nasty. I mean, it's you know from Holland. Hmm. Yeah. And there's some cheap German beers that aren't dreadful either. I mean, they're all hmm. they're all lagers. All of the the cheap, very drinkable beers seem to be lagers. But that yeah. makes sense because lager remains the most popular type of beer. Yeah. Well, the top ten in Australia is lager. Yeah. And what's oh that that's a really interesting point. Most of the beers that you find in the craft beer scene are not lager. Yes, absolutely. Like they tend nine, to be ninety-five. I I would hazard a guess to about ninety-five percent of the craft beers are not lager. They're all ales or mm. stouts. Yeah, ale, stout, gosa, porter, porter. Yeah. Uh, there's actually more and more saisons coming coming around. Uh, Green Beacon has one. Semi Pro now has one. Um, I saw one at Brisbane Brewing Co. Or sorry, Brisbane Beer Co. Uh, yeah, they're, they're getting really popular. Those whiny flavored <laughs> beers. Yeah, because it, it's it's too bizarre. It looks like a beer. Smells like a beer. Tastes like a white wine. Yeah, that's probably the best way to sum it up. Getting back to the brew day. Even though the process is quite slow, if if they're working their butts off, they said they can turn over a beer in about eight hours from zero prep to in the fermenter. Yeah, and that's with a team of three guys. Three? Yeah, three. So which, is, which is pretty good, really, because that includes cleaning the thing and getting it ready for the next beer, because you can't leave it. Like, what, once the, the container's been used, you've got to clean it straight away. Because you leave it and it's going to build up and get mouldy and produce off flavours for the next batch. Yeah, and so that one thing we did notice is that basically as soon as they had finished moving stuff from the mash tun to the boiler, they cleaned the mash tun. Mm. Like but the they... moment it was gone, they raked out all of the all of the spent grain, raked it out into a giant container that they send off to farms for the farmers mm. to mix together with molasses and some other stuff to use as feed for their cattle. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really great because they have a they have a, basically a contract with a, a local farmer to give all of their grain their they used malt to them. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah, and I think that the important part there is give. They they don't mm. sell it to them. They just they give it give it to them. Yeah. The the guy just comes and gets it because otherwise it's just going to go in compost or in the trash. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I tasted it. Like, you know, why not? I tasted all of the spent grain, and it didn't taste bad. It just tasted bland. Like you could mm. taste all a few of the flavors, but it was yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, obviously, all the joy had already been sucked out of it during the mashing process. <laughs> yeah, that's and, a good way to put it. Yeah, and, you know, so understandably, then you add some molasses and some other things to it, and some cows are going to well, really look, dig yeah, on Well, yeah, add molasses to that, and I'll eat it. Molasses is nice. It's sweet. Creates rum. Yeah. It's good. All, all by itself. It's not half bad. All right. So, if you like what you heard, guys, please subscribe to us if you haven't already. You can find us on your favorite podcast app, including Podbean or Apple Podcasts, as A Good Drop All About Alcohol. On the social medias, we are A Good Drop Podcast. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Yep. And, of course, if you'd like to email us, if you want to tell us 
your brew story if you're a woman who brews. Yeah, we really want to hear from you. We really want to hear from you, and uh, you can email us on a good drop at gmail.com. Yeah, and if you have a specific episode you want to listen to, or you want to share an episode with your friends, you can find us on our website at agooddrop.com.au. Well, we're going to talk about uh, the Japanese versions of Western drinks. Like uh, like whiskey or beer. Yeah, whiskey, although, beer, gin. Although I think the Japanese or that... I know it was Chinese that were make, that was making beer long before Western society. Yeah. I'm not... I don't remember off the top of my head what when the Japanese started making beer. But that is undoubtedly something that, dear listeners, you'll want to listen in for next time. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to do the research on it, to be honest. Looking forward to it. So, th- thanks for listening, guys, and stay tuned for next week. Cheers. Cheers.